great stories from amazing people. Conversations from the Marsh at Podcast Alley. This is Sports and More with Dean Millard. I think now that covering the team, um, I know that when I wasn't covering the team, you always thought, hey, that winger is pretty good. And why is he being buried on the third line? No offense to actually don't really care about Bill Peters. But um, then you have Rod Brindamore putting that one C, putting him. He logged almost as many minutes as like Jacob Slavin per night at some nights. And he uh, utilized on the, power, on the penalty kill, on the power play, all situations. One time he got a hat trick on a shorthanded goal, a power play goal, and an uh, even strength goal. And he's been given, he and Rod Brindamore are kind of perfect for each other. Like he has been given the motivation and the tool. Uh, he's always had the motivation. He's one of the most competitive people. Uh, you don't want to talk to him after a loss, and he's such a nice guy, but he just hates losing. And that's the same kind of fire as Rod Brindamore. And I think those two are bring out the best in each other. And, um, it's been great to watch for sure. I think he um, he would have got to 40 goals and he would have become the third player in Hurricanes franchise history to do that at all. That was Sarah Sivian of The Athletic speaking about Sebastian Ajo of the Carolina Hurricanes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on what time of day you are listening to this. I'm just glad you have downloaded Episode number 46 of Sports and More, the podcast. My name is Dean Millard. Almost anything goes on this program. For the most part, we stay away from politics, and uh, we pretty much always stay away from religion. But we will talk a lot of hockey today as Sarah joins us. Uh, She covers the Carolina Hurricanes for The Athletic. Uh, So we're going to talk about fun coaches to be around Um because it does make, as a journalist, makes your job so much more enjoyable uh, when the person you're interviewing is actually engaging and you can learn something from them. Uh, we'll discuss the NHL's future, drafting jerseys, an article that she was a part of on The Athletic, uh, the Hurricanes in general, and the last dance that just wrapped up. Also, she's originally from Boston, uh, so we'll discuss the Boston sports scene. But that last dance, it was awesome. Our top three is athletes you'd like to see a last dance type series on and our poll question is about the best american sports city before we get really rolling uh, i want to give you the weekly tribute uh, i i started this unfortunately out of necessity i had an aunt and a cousin uh, pass away in the same week uh, in the last little while and so i, I paid tribute to each of them at the start of my uh, shows lately and i thought you know what i'm gonna do this uh, but just not when people pass away and and not just about people in general Case in point, the weekly tribute this week is the Jiffy Lube on St. Albert Trail that I drive past uh, quite a bit. It always puts a smile on my face when I drive by with some sort of interesting message on their signboard. Sometimes it's a joke, sometimes it's a quote, sometimes it's just advice, uh, but but it's always um, a good reminder that we need to not take everything no there's some things we have to take seriously but we need to not let the small things uh, get us down that that i just when i if i'm having a bad day and i'm driving past that it does put a bit of a smile on my face i think it gets changed every monday always entertains me they decorate depending on celebrations halloween christmas easter etc so uh this weekly tribute is to the uh, jiffy lube on saint albert trail uh they do just a a bang-up job uh, putting a smile on my and other people's faces um bravo to those guys. All right, our top three brought to you by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports uh, is about athletes you would like to see a last dance type series about. And uh, with UFFS, Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports, uh, it's the most realistic platform ever. You know, I love fantasy sports. It's, you know, one of the massive things I miss about live sports. Um, although, like, maybe we should start, like, a fantasy league depending on how this, we should have started this at the beginning from like 1950s, take those stats and have a league or something. I'm not sure, but you know, it's cool with at UFFS, they're actually taking our league that we were in with this NHL season and they've simmed it on EA sports. I'm actually up to nothing in the uh, conference final. 
Uh, but this league is so cool. You can own one of only 31 professional teams. And I think there was only about five left last time I checked. So that means only one team is going to own Connor McDavid. Not multiple leagues across this platform, one. So get in on it now while you can. You have a 23-man roster, 27-player reserve list. You have daily roster moves, a really cool, unique playoff format if we get to the NHL playoffs. And these aren't just players. They are digital assets. You use digital currency to buy your franchise. Then you can buy and sell players, build a championship team now, stockpile for the future with your reserve list, and, and a scouting program that is like nothing else out there. So here's how this works. If you want to just be a scout, you start listing CHL, NCAA, European players. Then you sell them to the owners. So you can make money off scouting players. You can be an owner. You can be a scouter, scout rather. Um, and, and I think they have some big plans to uh, expand in the future into other sports. So as mentioned, only a few franchises left. Here's where you get yours. And uh, you can skip back if you missed the website, but it's www.airauctioneer.com slash UFF sports dash NHL dash fantasy dash franchise dash auction. Open your free account, make your bid. You will be notified if you are outbid. So get your hands on one of the few franchises left or get involved in their scouting game, which will be announced shortly in this format. You own the game, so get in the game. All right, my top three athletes who I think deserve a last dance series. My honorable mention is uh, Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn uh, from Major League. I mean, the guy played in the California Penal League because he stole a car. And then he got it on with one of his teammates' wives. I mean, the backstory alone and, uh, you know, the story behind uh, Cleveland's baseball team doing what they did in that movie would be epic. Uh, number three for me is Zdeno Chara. Um, this man, he treats his body like a temple. From what I've heard, the conversation with Ray, Wade Redden uh, months ago uh, talked about just how you know seriously this guy takes uh, his training. Uh, I think he ran a mountain, run up a mountain, ran up a mountain one year uh, in the off season. Those training, so just to see the 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 daily routine that this guy goes through. I've, I've heard uh, he has some legendary workouts. Uh, you know, he comes over and, and from Slovakia and ends up in Prince George and then Ottawa and, you know, the, you know, the Ottawa senators deciding on Wade Redden over Chara. And, you know, I, I think even Wade would tell you that uh, uh, they guessed wrong on that one, seeing as Zidane still playing, but that guy is awesome. Uh, number two is Tiger Woods. And that will be surprising for a lot of people who know me. Because I do not like Tiger Woods. I'm not a fan of Tiger Woods. Although I am a fan of Tiger Woods today, more of a fan of Tiger Woods today than I ever was because he is actually a little bit more personable and relatable and not so one-track focused. But, you know, as you see in the last dance, Michael Jordan wasn't terribly popular, but he won. Tiger Woods uh, was very popular among fans, but very one-tracked and, and focused, and it rewarded him with uh, a massive amount of victories. But... Having said that, I just want to see how Tiger went off the rails. Like, that's what I want to see. You know, the, the last dance Tiger Woods from, uh, you know, stardom to crashing to repairing his image. Like, it is, um, you know, Michael Vick went through the same thing of, uh, of a more serious scale uh, where he went to jail and then got back in the league. Like, it's those rebound stories. Mike Tyson would be another guy who has uh, turned his career on. Can you believe that guy might uh, fight again? Some charity matches. But I would just like to see Tiger at the the height. And then, you know, how did that all happen? How did this crazy sex scandal uh, evolve? And, you know, when you, when you saw some of the text messages that he was sending when they were leaked back in the day, man, oh, man. I remember the day this, the, his text messages were leaked out and, and uh, Kevin Carius, John Sexsmith, and I were sitting around in the sports department at Global like, the heck is he doing here? So I would I would have to see how that went down. And, and number one for me is Derek Jeter. I mean, a guy who also won, like Jordan, um, you know, is one of the most popular New York athletes ever. But did you ever hear um, anything bad about Jeter? I, I like I, I I think it would just be interesting, and I, I'm not I don't want to watch this. Like I don't want to watch Zidane Ochara and see you know what th is bad. We know all the stuff about Tiger already. I just think it would be interesting, and I didn't watch the last dance to to 
glorify over, uh, you know, Michael Jordan's faults because they're, you know, he seemed like a, a, a dick at times as a teammate, but he won. Derek Jeter does, is, is, seems like the opposite of that. It's like, you know, I can't, I can't imagine. I've got Kelly Rudy lined up for next week. I can't wait to ask him about Wayne Gretzky's leadership when he was in LA compared to a Michael Jordan uh, who, you know, kind of ruled by intimidation and fear. Derek Jeter seems like the more of the Wayne Gretzky type guy, but I would love to see that backstory. And you always hear those stories of Derek Jeter's um, very, uh, um, uh, what's the, almost like corporate, like uh, relationship stuff, you know, um, somebody comes over, they leave with a gift bag, things like that. Like just the, the, the you know, those are things that I've read over a year, over the time. I'd love to know how true any of it is. And just, you know what Derek Jeter did in the, when he wasn't on the field and, and what his life is like. And, you know, now he's moved into ownership and uh, I've always respected, uh, what he did and I'm definitely not a Yankee fan. So that's my top three and my honorable mention. Love to hear yours. Hit me up on Twitter. Mike Dursa says, uh, Terrell Owens, Rob Gronkowski, and Kobe Bryant. I think probably there's something uh, in the works about uh, Kobe already. Um, I think, yeah, I think there's there's some stuff coming out. Hank Aaron, Wayne Gretzky, and more on Bo Jackson for Mob Losing. Hank Aaron would be awesome. Um, we did the Prospects Baseball show uh, yesterday, and Hank Aaron's... Uh, 1973-74 season would be one that I would like to see. I'd like also like to see Joe DiMaggio's 1941 chase of uh, 56 straight games. Ted Williams hit 406 that year, so that'd be interesting. So that's my top three. Chime in at Duck Millard on Twitter and check out more details on the Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports program at www.uffsports.com. By the way, at Podcast Alley, we'll have one-timers with Sarah Sivian out a little bit later, probably on Friday, I think. Sam Cosentino of Roger Sportsnet, former Montreal Expos play-by-play, Blue Jays play-by-play, worked the visiting clubhouse at uh, Skydome in the 80s. He joined us on the Prospects Baseball Show, Jordan Blundell and I. Uh, we also played Pepper with him. So the episode with Sam is already out. And uh, playing Pepper, I believe, will come out tomorrow. And tomorrow, as well on the Cannabis 101 podcast, Dave Damer is going to join us. He's got a new app that is going to be a big hit for home growers it's amazing we'll also do one hitters uh, with him to get to know him as well all of that can be found at podcast alley but let's get to know our featured guest today sarah sivian of the athletic just a little bit more with the bio Time for the bio. Sarah Sivian was born and raised in Boston, growing up 15 minutes south of downtown, playing hockey and idolizing Zdeno Chara. She attended Penn State as a history major and started writing about Penn State hockey, which led to a job writing and covering the Pittsburgh Penguins. After college, she returned back to Boston as a freelance journalist covering the Bruins and college hockey. Two years ago, The Athletic came calling with a spot covering the Carolina Hurricanes available, and she's called Rally North Carolina home ever since. Sarah, it is uh, great to chat with you. I've uh, been a fan of your stuff on The Athletic, and, and I've been a fan of what uh, the the you know the hockey scene has turned into in uh, Carolina and you know I have uh, Jordan Martinuk in this studio last summer and, and just hearing about uh, the scene in Carolina it really makes me want to go to a game there but uh, I'm glad you're on this podcast what is uh, quarantine life uh, pandemic life what's it been like for you during all of this stuff um, yeah. first of all Jordan Martinuk is a huge part of everything going on in Carolina that can't really be understated. So glad you got to talk to him about it. He's pretty much the heart and soul of it. And um, what has this been like? Um, I'm sure the situation is similar to many others, pretty much everybody right now. Um, Pretty boring, but as Rod Brindamore said on our Zoom call a few weeks ago, it's a privilege to be bored right now. And just realizing that, trying to make the most of it, um, 
started playing piano again. So weird mm. things like that. I don't know. It, it's been okay. I'm, I'm lucky to have roommates that are as great as they are and lucky to be safe and healthy and just trying to help out. You know, that's the first time I've heard uh, somebody put it that way, that how you described what Rod Brindamore said. And, and what a great way to phrase it is that it is a privilege uh, to be bored. I mean, when you look at some of the, you know, quote unquote sacrifices that, you know, people before us had to make for, for different things, yeah. this is pretty small in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, like many things that he says that definitely stuck with me and because he put it in the right way. Like sometimes I'll roll my eyes when people are judging other people. Like he's not, he was not trying to judge or shame anyone. Just the fact that um, it's a privilege to be bored is so true. That's just like a core statement that he said that really got to me. So he's pretty good at that. Uh, Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's amazing what... um, the the type of head coach how it how it affects how you feel about covering that team you know when you have a guy and, and i've covered teams in different levels uh, where the guy was a jerk and it's just like i really do not look forward to going into this scrum and then there's guys that you know when ralph Kruger was here in edmonton or even tom rennie where you were like looking awesome. forward to what these guys were going to tell you and what knowledge they were going to drop on you it makes the job so much more fun doesn't it yeah, everybody went. And you know what? We're humans. It's not like it's biased or anything like that. It's just the back and forth. Like, they're basically your coworkers because it's not like, for me at least, all my coworkers are all over the world and they're awesome to talk to, but it's not the people that you, like, shoot the crap with every single day. But um, Ralph Kruger is awesome, first of all. And second of all, exactly. And, like, it's just, it creates such a good environment that he truly understands that it, it's like a, a mouthpiece for the fans, right? And then, like, the fans get to hear some real honesty from him, and he's so good at articulating exactly what he means. And um, if there's, like, a, a healthy back and forth and you look forward to talking to him, it's just, it benefits him, and it benefits me, and it benefits the entire fan base and the team. So the, this team really understood that once he took um, – the head coach job and like the, the ownership and stuff like that. That's just been um, beneficial for me and definitely the fans. Uh, yeah. Ralph Kruger, uh, Rod Brindamore just seems like, um, you know, a straight up, no nonsense guy. And, and as you mentioned, Ralph Kruger, he, to me, he's the one that got away for the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, he was fired over Skype um, to bring in Dallas Akins, who is, you know, now doing a, a really good job and not everybody succeeds on their first uh, head coaching job. But then Ralph Kruger goes and does such an amazing job at that uh, Team North America and now back in the NHL. And yeah. every day I would feel like I'm going to a philosophy class here with his, uh, with his uh, availabilities. Yeah, I always have time to read the story that involves him. So that's, that's always a good sign. How about the NHL right now, I guess, where we are? Um, you know, there is, for some teams, 10, 12, 14 games, depending on what you have left. Uh, some teams were in a comfortable playoff spot. Other teams were fighting. Other teams were trying to get in. What do you think uh, What do you think happens? Uh, do you think we hand out a Stanley Cup this year? Well, I'm not condoning it, and I'm not condoning getting back or staying home, whatever. Like I am not a doctor, but at the same time, if you ask me if I think that they're going to hand out a Stanley Cup this year, I absolutely think so based on what the league has been saying, what um, Gary Bettman's been saying, what uh, Bill Daly's been saying. Um, I think they it's definitely, they've expressed it's something that they want to do. And it's going to be weird with all the, the things where we and the league and everyone is going to have to do to get there. But, I mean, I get it. I get it. And we're just going to have to see what happens. I definitely don't like the fact that there's going to be a draft before the season is going to be over. But, I mean, I'm also trying to reconcile the fact that nothing's going to be perfect in the world anymore. So. Yeah, it, that's a really good point. Uh, even the other day, um, my wife and I went to like a, a place to pick up some plants and trees, and there was a big lineup, and we just said, this is going to be the way it is for a while. And we have to be yeah. uh, uh, patient with everything. Uh, I, I don't understand uh, your, I agree with your point. I don't understand how you can have a draft before 
uh, the end of the season when positioning could change? Is that saying, you know, are they basically saying we're scrapping the regular season by having a draft before and this is the the draft rankings? Like, you know, that uh, leaves a lot of teams uh, with a sour taste in their mouth uh, about the playoffs and the draft. For sure. And the ideas that they're throwing around, I know um, there yesterday, Pierre LeBron um, reported that they really want to do the round robin, whatever. And then uh, it's not a 2014 playoff, but it's like uh, a play in with some of the lower ranked teams, I believe. And then it's the 16 team playoff still, which I get that. It's still just, you're never going to hear the end of it. Um, if a team that was, supposed to make the playoffs get screwed out but you're just never going to hear the end of anything and you're so right with the patience it's just we should all be just a little more um empathetic sympathetic to everything people are trying to navigate right now you know, I had Jerry Johansson, uh, NHL agent, on this show uh, from the Sports Corporation a few weeks back and we talked about and he said like there's probably, unless they somehow get back and finish the season and have a full 16-team uh, playoff and, and it's normal, there's probably going to be an asterisk on this season anyway. So maybe this is the year to try something bizarre. Like, what if you had a one-game, one-and-done style playoff and then maybe you have a best-of-three like the Canada Cup 87 in the, in the final or something? But if there's going to be an asterisk anyway, maybe you expand it to, um, you know, 24 teams or whatever it might be, but some sort of one and done. You Can you imagine the suspense every game being a game seven? <laughs> yeah, why not? This is to- that's, that's a great point. Um, that's totally, I like that opinion. Why not just try different things? And I think in general in life, this pandemic and this time is showing us just how flawed some of the systems that we have in place in every facet of life are. So I think, I mean, we all know how many times everybody has complained about the way it is and how weird it is compared to other sports, the um, NHL playoffs. So it might just be a time to experiment a little bit. I, I agree with that. Might lean into it. Why not? I just, I just look at, um, uh, the the suspense that would be on it and, and who knows? I mean, what, what would you think of, you know, what, what does the playoff look like for you? Is it, does it have to be 16 teams, seven game each series to, to make the Stanley cup worthwhile? Or are you okay with an expanded, possibly 24 team playoff? And you know, what does the playoffs look like for you right now? Um, if, if you were had the ultimate choice. Well, I, I want to say in a perfect world, that the world is far from perfect, especially right now. I, I don't think it's fair to start off the season with one mindset and then end it in a totally different mindset. Like, I just don't think that's consistent. And that's why to me, there is an asterisk, but it's also a special, like you can look at it as like a positive asterisk that like, it was so special to watch sports come back and everything. But, um, so that's not totally a negative connotation to me, but I don't think it's very fair, but I think it would be less fair to make, less people or less teams be allowed to attempt to make a playoff run, I guess. Um, it's very tricky and it's something, it, to be honest, I've been kind of putting off thinking about because it's just, then you start spiraling, thinking about, oh, but what about this and what about that and what about who's going to be working this and where is that going to be? There's so many contingent questions about it that um, I've been trying to just go day by day and think about the draft and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't mind the idea of like, a, and it's not Pierre wants us to make it clear that it's not a 24. Yeah. I remember he like called me on this. It's not a 2014 playoff. It's a buy-in. The actual playoffs will still have 16 teams. But both, um, it depends what the process is to get from 24 to 16. It could be some play-in scenarios mm-hmm. and, um, I think that's what the NHLPA is kind of hoping for. Like they, they're trying to bargain with that right now. So we'll see how it gets to 16, but um, that could be interesting. Well, if they're, you know, whenever we do have a normal NHL season and hopefully that is uh, starting in October, 
I think the NHL should have a play-in game uh, for that eighth spot anyway. Um, I mean, we, we've seen what how exciting it can be in Major League Baseball. I think that should be happening in uh, the NHL. Uh, you know, as long as it's uh, kind of close, maybe, or, or you could put in some kind of yeah. um, requirements. But I, I love a one-game play-in for the NHL idea. I like that, too. And it's such parity right now. Like, I covered the Metro, and every single day, it's like, five teams that previously weren't in playoff positions were and the next ones weren't for like an entire few months there. And Rod Brindamore said earlier this season that it was the most, um, the toughest division he's ever seen in his life. So that's interesting. So what has it been like um, at the Athletic? I know I had uh, Eric Dehachek on last week, and we were chatting about you know he was he did a little bit of music writing. Um, what's what's writing been like without live sports? Um, that's where I guess uh, the idea factory has to come in, where you have to come up with something that's going to make somebody interested in reading that isn't about yesterday's game or tomorrow's game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I started sports writing um, without. Well, I had access to teams, but it was mostly revolved around things that weren't game coverage. So I already kind of love to be creative. I love to think of random ideas. Like, I I don't think that's ever been too much of a struggle for me. So I've had, and the fact that they're letting, they're giving me the green light on random ideas that aren't necessarily, they don't necessarily have to do with the hurricane. Like I worked out with, a coyote prospect that I know from college today. And that was a story and, um, drafting jerseys and things like that. Um, it's been actually fun for me because it, it's also given some ideas that I've kind of been like mulling over, like a chance to do instead of covering like the 80th game of the regular season. So I'm trying to look at it that way. I mean, it's less of a crutch to rely on. Um, and obviously they don't always perform as well as they're very hit or miss I'm finding like I know that um Eric's story about the music did awesome and I know that my drafting jersey story did awesome but there are certain things that are big misses but it's kind of interesting to figure out what those are you know yeah, I the the drafting jersey story was uh, it was an interesting one because you know it, that that is something not unlike uh um, you know, when you have an opinion about a, a certain player, people have so many opinions on the jersey, but it's different. There's no performance from a jersey where you could say, listen, Wayne Gretzky is, you know, clearly the best player and look at the the numbers. But a jersey is all subjective and, and personal. And, and I know you encouraged people to send in their own thoughts. What were some of the thoughts that you got from people? Oh, it was so funny to to read the con. There was like 700 comments on that story. And Dom, being the Canadian that he is, uh, went with a lot of the old school jerseys. But I went with some old school jerseys too. But my heavy hitters were kind of the the weird ones, you know. Like um, I I was going for color and flavor there. And it was funny how many people vehemently agreed with me and vehemently disagreed with me. And it was it just goes to show that it's obviously such a personal preference thing and um it was fun to just kind of see people's style and just um see what what the demographics were with people that like different things like of course original six jerseys are always classic but um i it was fun to see who has kind of branched out and who hasn't you know I loved it. I and I and it is so subjective. Uh, I mean, like, so was the criteria that because uh, you went with the Arizona Coyotes, the kind of the and it's such a, a unique. Um, or I don't know what kind, what you call that type of art that 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 logo is. Um, but you know, for me, I grew up two hours outside of Winnipeg. So for me, I'd be going totally going Winnipeg jets, but it's all in your perspective and, and what it is. And, and, and that's what makes jerseys so unique is, you know, five-year-old Dean Millard yeah. might think totally different than 44-year-old Dean Millard. Exactly. And I know I picked the jersey, I mean, the, um, Mighty Ducks jersey just because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it has so much nostalgia for me and that I'm still like four-year-old Sarah, but whatever, that's, I like it still. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's good. I, I think that was a really smart idea. You know, it would be a good one too. And in this, you'd be a little bit more in depth. But if you guys drafted goalie masks, because there were some really awesome, um, just bizarre masks uh, from back in the day. And I, I played goal growing up, so I love collecting them. Uh, but I think that would be yeah. a kind of a fun one too. That that you know, and then that's another one where. You know, depending on your age bracket, you might be somebody might be the Jerry Cheevers compared to uh, the Curtis Joseph uh, type of age bracket. And we all know, no offense, goalies have a reputation for being a little weird. Yes. So there's very out there that for sure. I know that um, the Hurricanes goalie Peter Morazic, he played for the AHL's uh, Grand Rapids Griffin, mm-hmm. and his name's Peter. So he has, you know, Peter Griffin from Family Guy. Beautiful. He hasn't painted on his mask on every mask that he had. I'm like, seriously, like really, you're really taking this bit uh, pretty far, but he's pretty funny. And then the Hurricanes equipment manager, who was once an emergency backup goalie for them, um, has a painting of the other equipment manager on his mask. Like there's, there's just a lot of stories there. Uh, it is so, uh, I, I absolutely love, uh, Peter Morazic's, uh, mask as I, as I love family guy. All right. Bring it up to court and corner three. I can't get enough of family guy. So I'm a big fan of, uh, uh Peter Morazic. <laughs> um, speaking of the, uh, speaking of the hurricanes, they were like, you know, they're in a playoff battle with four teams, games to go. Yeah. Uh, I think they had won their last three as I was looking at the stats. So they're on a bit of a roll when things got halted. How, how do you think they were looking down the stretch? Oh, I thought they were. I thought they had figured it out. Justin Williams was doing exactly what he needed to do. I think he was on a four-game goal. Actually, he was on a five-game goal streak because I remember the last song that they played in their locker room was Mumbo Number no. Five, <laughs> and because of his five-game goal streak, so that was great. But um, there was it was the magic was coming back to the team, and you could feel that they were likely going to make the playoffs in the hardest division. But um, and it had been a it's so road trip started off rocky and ended up real smooth. And there was like um, Morgan Geeky from Manitoba. Mm-hmm. He was called up and immediately scored two goals and an assist in his first game and then like kind of kept scoring. So that was just, it ended up being like a really fun twist. And it's a shame that this all had to end, but um, I, I'm curious. It's such a, it was an interesting spot for them to leave off at. So I'm just like, I would be really curious to see what happens if they come back with like all the new rules. Yeah. Well, for sure. And, and if the NHL returns um, this summer, which sounds so weird to say, but um, how's the injury situation shaping up? I know there were, they had a bit of a mash unit going on for a while. Yeah. Well, Dougie is Dougie Hamilton is ready to go. Um, He's started skate. I don't know if he's, he would have been started skating if, that's allowed. Like, if that makes sense. Um, I'm not sure if he's actually taken the ice yet, but he's all clear to go. So he'll be fine. Um, Sammy Vattenen's ready to go. Um, I think James Reimer would have been ready to go. And Brett Pesci, his dad actually just tweeted at me the other day that by the the grace of God, if it comes back this summer, he's probably going to be ready to go. Wow. So that's unexpected because he's supposed to, he, his trajectory after his surgery was um, he'll be ready for training camp, but it looks like it's going better than expected. Wow, that would be uh, according to his dad on Twitter. <laughs> it's like quoting parents now that that would be uh, that'd be incredible if he was able to do that. But we've seen guys, uh, you know, the, the Connor McDavid story that uh, the documentary that they put together where you know this guy was they thought this guy was going to have surgery and be out you know for half the season and he didn't have surgery and and comes back it's just all in this the work ethic that these guys have to return from injuries and you know it'll be interesting you know some guys might not have been uh, planning to play hockey this summer so they maybe weren't pushing their workouts as hard whereas other guys might have been like I want to be able to get back on the ice as soon as possible and might pay off for them and these guys you know when they get something in their mind as far as injury recovery sometimes there's no stopping them yeah, absolutely. There's no stopping a guy like Brett Pesci. Um, I remember a few months ago, I don't even know what time is anymore as a concept, but he was blocking a shot and there was like bone exposed in his hand and he ran off. It was very scary. It was like gushing blood or it was his wrist. And he just punctured a vein, I guess. But 
he was back and almost scored the game-winning goal in overtime that same day. So it's like, I, know, I don't want to glorify like people risking their health or whatever, but sometimes there's just no stopping them and you got to hand it to them. Yeah, the the things that, uh, you know, hockey players in particular that they can come back from is, uh, is pretty legendary. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Sarah Sivian from The Athletic. It covers the Carolina Hurricanes. You can follow her on Twitter at Sarah Sivian. And Sebastian Ajo, closing in on 40 goals. You look at his uh, trajectory. Um, every year his goals have come up. Uh, his goals are really up this year. His sister down a little bit, but when you're scoring 38 goals, almost 40 goals, that's to be expected. Um, this, is, this must be fun to watch just the evolution of a player from year to year that you knew was pretty good. But now it's like, wow, this guy's really good. Yeah, and you know what? I think now that covering the team, um, I know that when I wasn't covering the team, you always thought, hey, that winger is pretty good. And um, why is he being buried on the third line? No offense to actually don't really care about Bill Peters. But um, then you have Rod Brindamore putting that one C, putting him, he logged almost as many minutes as like Jacob Slavin per night at some nights. And he uh, utilized on the power on the penalty kill on the power play, all situations. One time he got a hat trick on a shorthanded goal, a power play goal and an uh, even strength goal. Yeah. And he's been given, he and Rod Brindamore are kind of perfect for each other. Like he has been given the motivation and the tool. Uh, he's always had the motivation. He's one of the most competitive people. Uh, you don't want to talk to him after a loss and he's such a nice guy, but just hates losing and that's the same kind of fire as Rod Brindamore and I think those two are bring out the best in each other and um it's been great to watch for sure I think he um he would have got to 40 goals and he would have become the third player in Hurricanes franchise history to do that at all well well, hopefully they he maybe can uh, still get there so uh Ajo Teravainen and Svechnikov, one, two, three in scoring. Are they line mates a lot? And is this a line you can see the Canes saying, you know, this is a line we could have for 10 years here together? Well, it's funny because Brendan Moore has been very hesitant to put Svechnikov on the first line with them because he needs to, he understands that depth is an issue and wants to spread it out. But it was like sometimes late in the season, I think it was in Arizona, he was just like, screw it. And then they automatically scored so many points and they kept doing that. And um, it was clear that sometimes it's like the perfection line in Boston. Like, um, it that's become a more common thing, I think, to stack your first line. And um, it, they have shown that they can play so well together. And Svechnikov loves playing with them. I think that's definitely benefited them. And it's the future is so bright for them, even if whatever happens at the end of this season, um, all their stars are so young, including defense. Yeah, this team, uh, man, they're just, uh, they're they're bursting with potential. And, and uh, Sebastian Aha, I remember watching him in Toronto at the 2015 World Juniors when he was playing with uh, Paul Yarvi and, and, you know, that line, um, and obviously, uh, Patrick Line, uh, and, and the, the Hurricanes are always one of those teams, um, that, that, that Euler fans try to link a trade to Jesse Pugliarvi to because of that success with Sebastian, Sebastian Ajo. Have you ever heard of the Carolina Hurricanes have any interest in, in Jesse Pugliarvi? Actually, yeah. I don't, I just don't think, I think they've always been vaguely interested in him. It just never came to fruition as so many things do, but um, I, it's not totally crazy to be thinking about that, but I wouldn't, worry about it too much you know um dougie hamilton you mentioned him uh, a while ago i'm not sure if you were uh covering the bruins uh when when he was there but uh, you know i remember this guy uh from you know canadian world junior teams and and uh, watching him from afar in niagara um he's on his third team now and everywhere he has gone he has scored a lot of goals including 18 uh in his uh, first year in Carolina. I mean, this is a guy, I don't understand why he keeps getting traded. And does he seem to have found a perfect home with this team in Carolina? Yeah. Um, a lot of these trades, when you have to look at them, people are like, Oh, he, he has been traded so much in his young career, but like people really kind of obsess over that when in reality, they have been some, 
some of them, or at least were some pretty good hockey trades at the time, it seemed. And I do, he has found a home in Carolina. I, I kind of hate when people talk about him like, oh, the museums and stuff like that, because the truth is none of us really know exactly what happened. And I don't think he wants to be like some champion of like the museum. I think he's just trying to like play hockey and be a regular human being. And um, I, but that being said, he's definitely like best friends with Andre Sesnikov and Warren Fogel and they have like a, a bromance. But um, I mean, good for him. I don't know again exactly what happened, but uh, clearly it's showing in his play. He's played the best hockey of his life in Carolina. And I think a lot of that has to do with Rod Brindamore respecting him. And um, also, obviously, he didn't get the first power play um, mm-hmm. quarterback position when Justin Falk was here. But when Justin Falk got traded, it kind of gave him an opportunity to be good at hockey that he like he is. And he just ran with it. And um, he's been playing good on defense, too. So that's something that Brindamore obviously respects. He's such a smart guy in in conversations that I've had with him. I I don't understand why anybody would have a problem with what anybody does off the ice as long as they're not breaking uh, the rules. He performs on the ice. That's all anybody cares about. And, uh, you know, uh, he seems to have so much fun, as does everybody on this Carolina Hurricanes team. I mentioned Jordan Martinuk, and, you know, my I, uh, his cousin is, uh, you know, very good f- uh, friends uh, of uh, of mine. I, I, his dad, if you're ever on one of those dad's trips, you got to hang out with Mark, Mark Martinuk. Yeah, he's a legend. It, it, I, I actually, I actually partied with Jordan's grandma at a wedding in Dominican Republic because my friend married in. She was a great party year, and she was a lot of fun. So I know where Jordan and, and Mark get it from. But Jordan Martin oh, yeah. really is, you know, that Evander Holyfield thing was one of the greatest things. But he really does seem like he's kind of one of the glue guys on this team. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the conversations I've had with Brenda Moore, it's like he nobody has respect somebody like that like Rod Brindamore does right and it's about like he would play through anything which is again it is what it is but it's it means a lot in the hockey locker room and he Justin Williams can't do everything Jordan Stahl can't do everything um there there needs to be you know the teams that win the Stanley Cup there's always that like third or fourth line guy who's such a, a glue guy and in and out of the locker room just kind of getting people together Jordan's definitely that guy who kind of brings people together like everybody on the team um and i think that's been so important yeah and and it's it's those type of guys uh don't always get the uh, accolades for the the numbers they put up yeah. but you ask any successful team and there's a handful of those guys that they would not win without absolutely and it's in all the little things too like he is always out there just in the media to the point where I don't talk to him unless it's absolutely necessary because I I get that he's exhausted and he always gives a good answer. But um, he he and his dad are definitely gems and his dog and his new little baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy. I'm looking forward to getting him and Mark uh, back in here because we had a lot of fun uh, chatting. One of the things we talked about was. Uh, the the bunch of jerks, which um, you know, in hindsight, is one of the best things to ever happen uh, to uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. The the statement made by Don Cherry, who I had I, I'd stopped being a fan of about ten years ago. Um, I found his shtick uh, got a little bit old. But then this bunch of jerks, I thought, oh my god, you're just feeding the fire. And and good on Tom Dundon because I think as Mark Martinuk put it, Don Cherry basically put a few million bucks in the in the pockets of these guys and and some local charities. So you know what was that? whole phenomenon like the bunch of jerks the when those celebrations started it it was like a a snowball that just kept going yeah well you know the owner Tom Dundon basically says the same exact thing but it's also a testament to their marketing team and the way that um they have worked cohesively I know I just did a story about them at the beginning of last week just kind of um about that and one of them told me the story that like after the bunch of jerks game um they were still out there like producing content on twitter and stuff like that and they finished around twelve thirty. and um mike Foreman, who's the vp of marketing um went into the guy who does the guy who does the tweets um i social strategist i think that's the name um his office and said um, we need to make shirts, but we have to do it fast because in a week, nobody's going to care about this. So he texted 
Don Waddell and Tom Dunnan, they got an answer in five minutes at like twelve thirty in the morning. Go for it, just do it. And those shirts oh, I think they were in every single state. Like I don't it was something crazy and they were a big hit and they made a lot of money for the team. So just the fact that they have the freedom to do that, um, that all the pieces kinda were put together with the fun loving group of people, Justin Williams, Roger Nemore, um, them getting made fun of by Don Cherry, um, them not really caring, um, the the marketing and the front office really all were so like perfectly put together that season. And it just led to such a great atmosphere. Um, you know, 2006, I was here obviously covering the Oilers and, and didn't get to go to Carolina for the end of the games, but the people that did uh, told me, you know, it was, pretty, it was pretty fun, but this atmosphere seemed like uh, it was so much different. And, and you know, maybe that's just a, a different age. I'm not sure, but this maybe it was the, the bunch of jerks boost or whatever. But, you know, what would you, how would you describe that playoff atmosphere? Um was probably one of the craziest experiences ever. Like you would go to morning skate at 10 and people would already be out there tailgating at nine 30. And I just did a story with some of the guys in the uh, 2016, Brett Hedekin and Aaron Ward. And they just kind of said the same exact thing about the atmosphere that like, um, they, it, it's crazy when the team is good and it's just, it, it gets stereotyped as kind of a, not a hockey town or not a whatever town or like, Southern people don't know about hockey, but it's just the fact that this team goes nine years without a playoff run. Like that, I don't think that's the South's the South's fault. I don't think that's the fact that there's a lot of good college basketball teams here. Fault. Like I think it's the team has to be consistently good, and that's why this year it was so important that they made it back to the playoffs, and they were about to. And now it's like, well, global pandemic, so. I find watching those games, uh, you know, with the the centerized package or whatever, I enjoy them. I, I enjoy the atmosphere. I enjoy the crowds. I enjoy the team. The team is exciting. So uh, you put that good of a product on the ice and, uh, you know, things are going to, um, people are going to want to come watch um, and, and learn about the the sport uh, if they don't. How How is it covering uh, the Carolina Hurricanes compared to, covering the Boston Bruins. Uh, you mentioned you're uh, in North Carolina as a compared to an original six city. What are the biggest differences? Well, in terms of my day-to-day job, definitely I'm in Boston. I was so scared to like, and this is also just being a very young reporter who never really had a chance to have a big break yet. Um, I think it was so hard to like, especially I like tried to name my dog after Zidane Ochara and then I'm trying to ask him a question. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm even in the same room as him. Like what an honor. And it was, it was very hard to do that. And then it's people that I grew up reading who there's so many legends in the industry that are in Boston media, like Joey Mack, who's now my colleague. Um, like, so I could name 15 people right now, but um, that was very challenging for me. And here it's, def- it's I'm one of probably four who reporters that, are always around the team and the only independent reporter that travels. So it's like, I have no matter if I like it or not, or if somebody, nobody else is going to ask the question. So I better ask it. Um, that has been amazing for my reporting career. I think I mean, I've done a lot of stupid things, but you have to do that on the path to being good or you're just never going to grow. I think so. I've grown a lot. Um, I think, it's the same as Boston in that diehard hockey fans are diehard hockey fans. And I think people in the North don't understand that. I know when I grew up in Boston, it's like, oh, you look down on like the Southern teams and stuff like that. And you look the small market teams, attendance jokes, whatever. But the diehard fans are all the same. And you know how crazy diehard hockey fans are. I mean, there's more of them in somewhere like Canada. I wouldn't say Boston. I kind of would, but then... Boston is blessed with a lot of amazing pro teams. So the the Bruins take a backseat. And it was interesting because I worked at a um, radio station that we know Boston radio stations, but um, they made fun of hockey and just called it like the little brother of the city. So it's funny to hear people talk about it. Like it's a big market when it obviously is, but like that just wasn't even my experience when I was there. So it's, it's the same in a lot of ways you wouldn't expect, but, obviously different well yeah it's uh 
you know, at, at the heart of it, you're, you're still asking same questions, covering the same people. It's just, uh, you're right. Maybe yeah, there's more diehard fans in one area, but there are still our diehard fans uh, in, in every uh, pro sports team or else there, there wouldn't be a pro sports team there. Um, how, about, uh, how about just covering sports as a woman? Has it improved since you started in the business? I mean, I started like two years ago, so I don't really okay. know if that is enough sample size as a uh, 26-year-old person. But I do think that it's, I don't know, I've never had a problem in a locker room or with anybody that has played hockey that I'm interviewing or a coach or anything like that. But um, I mean, the first situation that I had was in Pittsburgh with a boss that you can read the story on Deadspin, I guess, that um, he was sexually inappropriate towards me. So that's not great. Um, I don't think I'm not very optimistic about things after that. But I do think um, ever since then, it's been awesome. And there's people that want to help. And I know one time, um, one of the hurricanes, it's not a hurricane anymore, but he like took me aside and was like, I just want you to know that we have nothing but respect for you in this room. And that's how it always is. And like, respect your reporting and stuff like that so i really appreciate like not to do that but i really appreciated it and um i don't think there's a problem with the players of people that i talk to on a daily basis but i mean on twitter and stuff yeah. it's always going to be what it is with people that are jealous or mad that i'm invading their space but they're gonna have to get over it because i'm gonna be here for a while yeah i think uh in in general i've never been around a situation where a, a player or even another reporter um took exception or said anything like you don't know what you're talking about because you're you're a woman but i do see it on social media so many times yeah. like the listen stay in your lane is one of the most ridiculous things i have ever heard anybody say whether you're talking to a woman about sports or a man who covers sports who makes a comment about politics that means a plumber can only talk about plumbing a lawyer could only talk about being a lawyer and a sports reporter could only talk about sports it's so ridiculous and so is the notion that you have had to have played in the NHL or played hockey or, um, you know, be a man to know about sports. Yep. It is so ridiculous. And I, I think it's the minor or the, the vocal minority, but it's still unfortunately out there. Yeah. And it doesn't really, like when you get it every day, five times a day, it doesn't really matter if it's the most vocal minority It's still happening. True. But I mean, it's just, you have to think, you have to keep perspective about if people, I, I don't know. It's just something I go back and forth with every single day. And a lot of people do, but it's not, at the end of the day, it stems down to somebody has something wrong with themselves and it's not about you. Mm -hmm. And uh, as long as there's no problems in real life with what I'm doing and the problems that do arise to get resolved, then I don't, I'll still be here. So. Um, speaking of Twitter, there is good and there is some bad. Um, I, I'm, you know, I, I am a guy who, uh, deals with mental health issues and I often look at things pessimistically, unfortunately, and often I see so much bad stuff on Twitter that when I see something good, I'm like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And I kind of try to celebrate that. How do you separate the good and bad on Twitter? Uh, you know, being in a, in a, a job, uh, that, you know, is, has a profile with covering an NHL team, much like, you know, when I was on the radio or in TV, you're, you're, you're a bit of a target sometimes. How do you deal with Twitter? Yeah, I just, I'm still looking for that answer. So let me know if you find it. Yeah. But, um, I, I definitely don't handle it well sometimes. And I'll acknowledge that. Like, there's no reason to entertain the haters or whatever. But at the same time, what do you want me to do? Like, it's a very fine line between, like, making a joke about a hater and, like, letting it become your identity. Like, I don't, I hate when people say, like, they love that I own the haters because I don't want somebody saying something rude to me to be my identity because right. I think I write some really good stories and I'd rather people know me for that, but it is what it is. Um, I sometimes with Twitter didn't exist when I was a reporter, but I do acknowledge all the positive that it has brought to my life. Like every opportunity I've had is because somebody found me on Twitter or whatever. And I've met best friends on Twitter. I've connected with so many people. Um, I think you just have to remember that like some anybody can log on and say anything. I don't understand. I will never understand it because 
I would never take the time out of my life to have like no profile picture and come out and say something really mean to somebody because it's just, it seems like a miserable way to go about life. So then you think about it like that and you're like, okay, that person's miserable. Um, I'm not miserable. So I'm going to let them keep being miserable and feel bad for them. And that sometimes works. Yeah. I, I don't know the answer either. And, and I'm like you, sometimes I, uh, I'm, I'm a very, uh, you know, I, I, I sometimes handle it maturely and sometimes I go, uh, I just get so angry uh, about how somebody could be yeah. so rude that, uh, I have a hard time and, and you know what, but, but there are good things, um, that do happen on, uh, on Twitter. And, and I think that's, uh, important. Like you said, meet people. I've, I've come into co- lots of people about mental health where I can, I've DM back and forth and they've helped me and I've helped him. So there are some, uh, important things that, uh, do come out of, um, of, of that, uh, social media platform. All right. I want to quickly ask you about the last dance. Um, you, you mentioned earlier, we've both watched it. Um, you know, you cover the Carolina hurricanes and, and Michael Jordan is uh, North Carolina royalty. How did, uh, how did the last dance uh, play out in Jordan country? Oh yeah. It's been awesome seeing some of the local reporters kind of like tweet their stories and tweet like all the people surrounding it. Cause I know there's been a few um, North Carolina figures in making appearances in this. And um, I've, I really enjoyed like kind of the backstories and how um, that's played out. It's, it's definitely a big hit everywhere, but especially here. Um, and I know some of the Hurricanes are huge basketball fans. I know Dougie Hamilton's mom is a Olympian in the mm-hmm. Canadian basketball team. I think she medaled. And um, I know that Warren Fogel is a huge Raptors fan. And um, now they're like bringing Andre Svestikov into the, the fold because they're all friends. But I'd love to, I think I'm going to do a story getting their opinions on it just because it's been such a universal hit. I mean, I know I'm watching it and I'm just like so jealous of the way that these reporters got Jordan and everybody to talk, but like, I don't know if I could keep a secret for 20 years. I just can't believe that they had this access, all this footage, and it took them this long to do something. I mean, and and to be like, you know what it's like to get like exclusive access with a pro team. It doesn't happen very often unless you're the rights holder for this production crew to be able to go anywhere they wanted. I mean, this, this, this series would have still been really good if it was just them doing the interviews, but seeing the footage and some of the off-cuff remarks, like Jordan talking about the 92 Olympics and how he was going to hide the Reebok logo, that's gold. And the pizza. Yeah, <laughs> and the pizza, the flu, the, the food poisoning game instead of the flu game, right? Dennis Rodman going to the WCW and coming back and whatever, he, the, the amount of money that he made uh, easily paid his fine and then some. That was the like least surprising thing of the entire documentary to me. But um, that, yeah, it's it's been great. I mean, that was something we all needed to keep like a collective sense of community and sports. I think one hundred percent. All right. Lastly, our uh, poll question for this episode is: What is the best American sports city to be a fan in? And the criteria are multiple sports, championships, and history. Right now, Boston is running away with this at 53%. So I'm going to get your perspective on that. Chicago, 17%. New York, 16%. Los Angeles, 14%. You're from Boston. What makes it the greatest uh, sports city in America? I need to know who said New York. Are you a Mets fan? Like, I, that couldn't be me. I Like, that's very sad that that's even running away with anything. But I, <laughs> obviously Boston. I mean, I don't know who else can't. In fourth grade, when they won the, uh, they reversed the curse. School was canceled for like three days. I don't know, like anywhere else I would do that, but um, that was my experience with being a Boston sports fan. And just every year, it's at least that one team wins something. I mean, it, it's to the point where you do have like embarrassing bragging rights. And then every five years, everyone's like, "Oh, the dynasties are going to end," but then they don't. And I mean, Tom Brady, end of an era, whatever. I never really liked him, to be honest with you. He kind of is just creeps me out a little. It's something about him that I can't explain. But um, that, how can you look at all these teams having so much success and pick anything but Boston? That's exactly it. I th- I think uh, like everywhere you turn, as far as a pro sports in Boston, there seems to be a parade hitting in the face. Mm-hmm. 
I'd like to go there sometime for sure. Sarah, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Uh, continued success with, uh, you know, uh, the writing at The Athletic. I Hopefully we get to watch uh, Stanley Cup handed out this year and uh, hopefully we get to chat again. And, uh, have fun uh, with the, the Martinuck clan when you get to see them. <laughs> I'm sure I will. Thanks so much for talking to me. The tide's out, I'm in love with my lover. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Zigzags, loose change, and a brand new diamond ring. The bottom of a beach bag. Fun conversation with Sarah Sivian of The Athletic. One-timers with Sarah Sivian will come out in a few days. You can find that at sportsandmore.ca. And that was Beach Bag from Sweet Bejesus, the official band of Sports and More, the podcast. Kevin Dabbs, Christian Gutzis make up Sweet Bejesus. You can find their debut album, Policeman's Creek, on Apple Music. As mentioned, that was Sweet Bejesus. We'll hear a little bit from I Got Time at the end of the show. Our Myron French question of the day. It's the ultimate franchise fantasy sports poll question. I nicknamed it Myron French because he was my high school law prof- uh, teacher. I don't know why we had a law class in high school. And he started every class with a question of the day. It was never going to be on the exam. Uh, so my buddy Jeff and I would always try and stretch that cl- question of the day out for the entire class. So today's question of the day, it's our uh, poll question at Duck Millard. What is the best American sports city fan-wise? So the criteria is multiple sports, championships, and history. Your uh, options are Boston, Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles. And and I asked if uh, there were any write-in votes as well. Um, So if if you thought like maybe the Bay Area or maybe Philadelphia deserves to be on there or something like that. Pittsburgh might be up there, right? Boston is crushing it at 54% of the vote. Chicago is... 18%. 18%. New York has 60%. LA only has 12%. You know, I guess Showtime Lakers and uh, Kobe and Shaq was uh, a, a while ago for a lot of people. Don't don't rely on the Dodgers for championships in the last uh, 20, 30 years. Anyway, um, Boston running away with 54% of the vote. I, I, you know, I think I would either go Boston or New York. Um New York, you also have the U.S. Open in uh, in late summer, normally. So, hmm, I'm probably going uh, New York. Uh, and listen, I think there's a lot of a lot of choices too. You got uh, in that area two hockey teams, well, Devils, if you if you want to dive into Jersey. Uh, but you got uh, basketball teams, two football teams, uh, and obviously, as I mentioned, the hockey. You've got the the baseball covered. And with championships, you know, the Giants, the Yankees, you know, there's, there's teams, the Mets and the, uh, the Jets that don't win very often. Uh, but you have your pick of championships in that area for sure. But Boston is running away with it at 54% of the vote. You can have your say at Duck Millard on Twitter, and you can get more details about ultimate franchise fantasy sports at UFFsports.com. Hope you enjoyed the show with Sarah Sivian from The Athletic. If you did, please subscribe and leave us a review. really helps us to move forward with the show. And for those of you who have left reviews already, I really appreciate uh, especially the kind words that you've had to uh, say about the program. If you would like to get involved with the show as an advertiser, feel free to email me, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. That is sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. Dot com. And we're going to head out with a little I Got Time from Sweet Bejesus, the official band of Sports and More, the podcast. I'm Dean Millard. Playtime is over. I'm hurting in this long and dark wide. Yeah.
our time Right now 